just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting it out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. If you are a repeat defender, you're always welcome back and uh, know that we are building up a bit more of a regular listenership on the show as well. So great to have you back with us. Today, I have a really wonderful guest with me, someone who I've been on her show. So and she is now very kindly returning the favor by coming on mine. Please welcome Amy Rowlandson. Hi, Amy. Hi, thanks so much for having me on, John. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really pleased that you agreed to to swap <laughs> and to come and come and be on my show after having been on yours. I had a really nice experience being on your show. Uh, your podcast is Focus on Why, and it's been number one in the iTunes charts, right? Not quite. So Not quite. I, I got to number four. So number I had four. a podcast before, which was the, the Property Vault, and the Property Vault got to number one, and this ah. one is yet to get there. So, But yes, I am essentially a number one podcaster, but not with Focus on Why. Focus on Why has only been going. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yes. It's only been going since um, April 30th of 2020. So it's, it's still sort of in its sort of fairly early stages. But it's been, wow, at the moment of recording, we're in 69 countries. So I'll take that as good growth. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's doing really well. And, uh, you know, I speak to a lot of other podcasters and, you know, it's a, it's a real mix across the board. Like I say, you know, I'm still in just, just starting my second year of my show and uh, and things are, things are going okay. I mean, uh, according to everyone I've been speaking to, I'm more or less on track for, for an average kind of show. Um, and perhaps wasn't, as, uh, perhaps wasn't as strategic as I could have been in, in launching. So I know if I do a podcast again, there's a lot more strategy. You learn so much when you get into this. I think you were uh, you were very strategic when when you launched your, launched your show. Right, you knew what to do. You knew uh, how to how to get the publicity in there and and to get it on some charts and uh, things things I wish I'd known. But your show is very much about um, focusing on why people do things. So therefore, the title, which is also very tied in with your professional life as well. So you do coaching. What what kind of coaching do you do? Well, it started out as property coaching. People were asking me how to get started in property and how to build a portfolio purely because they'd seen me do it. And 
coaching wasn't necessarily something that I'd even thought about. So I started working with people one-to-one and also had a mastermind, which I've been running for free for women in property who were sort of fellow people that I met on networks. And I pulled together a mastermind and that sort of evolved into one-to-one coaching. And then I realized actually it wasn't necessarily the property that people wanted to come to me. Yes, there was an element of mentoring here and there, but a lot of it was personal development work that people needed help with and more specifically life purpose. So essentially I've been life purpose coaching and I love it. It's, it just combines that energy that you have for finding your sort of living purpose. What, what is it you're going to be leaving behind as a legacy and also living that legacy today? There's no reason why we can't do that. And helping people to discover their why, why they're here and what, the, what they should be doing in terms of what they want to be doing, not from a societal value sort of perspective but just what they really really drive and what they love doing so mm-hmm. yes I kind of sort of fell into it I don't know I think if all coaches fall into coaching and whether or whether some people actually specifically go for it but this is my journey and this is how I have been coaching over the last couple of years mm, no. well I mean I, I I didn't fall into coaching I, I very much decided to do it but uh, but it's it's interesting that you were uh, um, in one specific area, like uh, property coaching, mentoring is quite a niched area. One thing that I know that whatever niche you work in as a coach, and hopefully you know, as a coach, my, anyone who is coaching or wants to be in coaching should be working in a niche. Otherwise, it's going to be a real struggle. But whatever you end up working in, you, you often end up working on everything. And I think that's primarily because um, life isn't so compartmentalized that we can chuck everything into little boxes and it's all separate to each other. Everything crosses into everything else. And uh, so if one part of life isn't going very well, it tends to pull other things down. But when, when you start working on improving a few particular parts of your life, it starts to to lift everything up. And that, that's been my general experience in coaching over the years. Do you find similar yourself? Absolutely. And and what happens is once you start to get strong in one area, you realize that you can then move into another area and work on that as well. So it all, you are one person and all the different facets of your life all to come together. People wear many hats, but often they sort of lose the focus or they lose a drive in a particular area. And that actually has quite a sort of negative impact on their other areas, even though they don't realize it. So absolutely, you know, they, people come because they recognize that there's a, an issue or they've got a, a sort of a particular problem that they want to overcome. But what they don't realize is often that is not the cause. There's other yeah. elements that they, so you, you unravel first as well. Yeah. What do you what do you tend to find is the case then with people who don't feel that they have a life purpose? Is it always the case that that they feel a bit sort of lost and uh, and meaningless in their world? It's really interesting because I think a lot of people come to me and I tend to work with I call them midlife beginners. So people come to me at that sort of midlife stage where they they realize that the career they'd been in or the particular business that they had wasn't really fulfilling and it wasn't sort of meeting their needs and their values. 
And yet, actually, when we get down to it, they didn't know what their values were and they thought they did. But actually, again, it comes back to that societal values that they were sort of doing things under the premise of should and need to as opposed to what they were wanting to themselves. So going through the values exercise with people is probably one of the most sort of transformational pieces that I do because they realize that now that they're working or they're they're creating something it's because it comes from their core and these things have always been there but they just haven't spent the time on on working on it and I'm sure you do the same with people similarly although I don't always work on on people's values but most of my coaching work isn't isn't really so much ontological coaching about their sort of purpose and being it's more uh, I'd say it's more sort of specific business coaching on uh, I end up working with a lot of people on getting their businesses uh, rolling and growing again and now my my work primarily is on helping them with their public speaking and training skills so so I can't say that those things never come up uh, and they do sometimes with clients but it's not the prime focus of of the work that I do but certainly any coach should be able to work on those things and it's great when you actually have people who specialize in that what's the first question that you would ask somebody to help uncover those values it's it's quite a a lot of layers to go there but what I will do is I will work out really what it is that they want in life who they want to be and why they want to do that. And a lot of people don't know those answers. They're actually, it sounds like a simple question. You know, who, who do you want to be? Who, who are you? And what is it you want? And a lot of people know what they don't want. And, and so we have to sometimes work from there and, and then sort of move away from that and work towards what they do want. And actually, again, it's a keep asking the sort of the questions until actually the real answers start to come out. So the real answers from within. So to work with people's values, it's a case of, again, working out what it is that they're doing right now, just talking to them about what they've done, going through a life map, which really helps to sort of pull out the themes and and the sort of repetitions there and show people that there have been patterns and there are peaks and troughs. And, you know, we all have this journey, but just to show people that they have been living in accordance with their values. They just didn't know what they were. So there's, there's lots of different elements. So this is not less of one question. It's sort of a bit of a, a discovery process. Yeah, you may find me muting my mic whilst you're speaking. It's just because uh, it always seems to be when I'm recording that uh, the, the workmen next door start doing banging and <laughs> typical, right? <laughs> but that's how it, just how it goes. Um, but it, it's really fascinating. I know one of the things that uh, that I, I, mean, I I've spoken on, on this area of sort of life purpose and life meaning. And uh, what are you, what are your feelings about wh- where that comes from for people? Well, it originates with our need to belong and that whole sense of belonging and also to be valued. So we all have this need and this craving to be of of value to others and of purpose. And this is a, a sort of inner drive that we have. And sometimes it doesn't manifest. And that's where we will feel that we're not being valued for our work or we're not finding life is fulfilling. And this is sort of like the news flash. People don't go to work to work. They go there to meet their needs and their values. And that's unique to everybody. And it's 
often that they are misaligned. And that's where they will find this sort of difficulty or conflict in sort of showing up at work and then not having a great time and not understanding why. And this is where I can help people sort of fall in love again with what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's and that's the transformational moment is that often it doesn't have to be this sort of huge shift. It can just be identifying within their existing job or their existing life, all the elements that actually do meet their their values and it's a really it's a really great thing to be able to do because you know you're just empowering people to see their own strengths their own beauty in what they're capable of doing and how they can respond and so I've heard this phrase which is pointing superpowers and it, it is essentially just pointing the superpowers that you have within you towards the things that you're capable of and we are all so unique we have unique maps of, of what we've done in the past and how we sort of approach things so for me it's just helping people to see who they are. And that's really powerful. I know one of the books that has had a profound effect on me and, and on many, many people is, is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And so uh, I think it's very true that often we are searching for for meaning and purpose in our lives. It seems to be how, how our brains are wired. Like we often tend to not really take action or to just feel like we're going through the motions in life if we don't feel that there's a purpose for it. And yeah, it seems that all the, from most of the books that I read that seem to have great value in that sort of area, the the purpose stuff really comes from what what you decide, how you want to serve, how, as you said about being, uh, feeling useful, appreciated and and serving the world in some way using your talents your superpowers in whatever way possible and and i feel that that's that's something that you know, personally i feel feel like i've always aimed to move in that direction i i made myself a promise at the start of my uh start of my working life that i was only ever going to do work that i really enjoyed doing and that i felt fulfilled by and uh, for the most part, that has been true. Now, other than sometimes when I've just had to take jobs because I needed some money coming in, uh, for the most part, my my career choices, my work and business choices have been making the choices of what has uh, allowed me to feel like I was being the being able to do the most, being able to being able to contribute the most from from what I could do, where I could help people, where my talents were. And, and so, when you get to help people actually do that and create that in their own lives. Uh, I think that's a, a really, really powerful thing and, and, a, and a wonderful gift to, to be able to bring that out in people as well. What, what have been some of, the, some of the experiences or stories that have been perhaps most meaningful for you uh, from your work then? Well, let's just go back to Frankel again, because it is such a great piece of work. And yes, it's a very traumatic way to illustrate the sort of our search for meaning using the Holocaust as as the sort of main focus. But what it does allow us to do is that it allows us to understand as a human that it is our primary motivational force to find our meaning in life. And so when we do, and when I'm working with people that are looking for that, and they understand that that's what their driving force is, when they find it, what else is there? You know, it's just the most empowering thing. Because when we can sort of find that unique and specific significance in our life and have the understanding what our will to living is and our, our sort of meaning behind what we do, there, there's no greater sort of reason for us to be doing this. So yes, I mean, it's a brilliant book and I'm waiting for 
someone to sort of do or, or give us a, a slightly different modern approach because I think that that book is going to stand out in time because of its link to the the journey that people had to go it was a very extreme point that he's making in that in that particular or he's sharing very extreme sort of experiences and this is something that I work with a lot of people is that you don't need to go through huge trauma to find purpose and you know when people talk about the sort of big trauma or little trauma what I I work with clients is to understand you know that there are lots of elements in our life that all come together and it doesn't have to be that you've had this sort of epiphany or you've had a significant event death of a loved one or or severe illness before you sort of recognize and this is where I I obviously work with a lot of people who are in midlife but I'm trying to encourage especially through the podcast focus on why people just to challenge their thinking more and from an earlier age and so the, the podcast does appeal to people all ages because wherever they are in life they're listening to other people's journeys and yes a lot of these people who come on the show have had some kind of trauma that has led them to then find meaning in their life but not everybody and that's why it's so great to have all these different stories all these different people from all different walks of life who have had different life trajectories just so they can inspire and motivate and encourage others to think about why they're doing what they're doing does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it does because um, to to me the the whole sort of journey of of finding meaning is is ongoing. And but one thing that I see that people often just don't do, and one of the biggest reasons why I think people aren't so in touch with that is because we can we can live our whole lives without really contemplating it without really considering uh, whether we're on the track we want to be on whether that's like through we have uh, we feel we have duties and responsibilities we have all things that can distract us and and sometimes we just don't stop and question Uh, and certainly now more than ever there's enough things in the day and in our lives to keep us distracted constantly that we don't really have to take that time out to just stop and think like um, I, I know I've talked about this on my show before a few times, but um, people seem to be scared of getting bored. And and I think that uh, boredom can be a, a really wonderful gift because once we sort of get past that sort of discomfort of being bored for a little while, we actually start to think and we're we're alone with ourselves for a little while. And I think that's a, a wonderful opportunity. And and many of the sort of great people, people who, who are generally looked up to and esteemed in the world, will often talk about taking time out in their day to just think about things. And very often we don't do that. We don't take that step back in our own lives to just take a look at what's going on. And uh, am I happy with this path? Is this the one I want to be on? Could life be different? You know, ask yourself some, some good questions. And it seems that that's what you're giving people an opportunity to do. Yeah, there's a there's a great book called A Road Less Stupid by Keith J. Cunningham. And he talks yeah. about um, thinking time. And just taking yourself away from everything for 45 minutes a day with a pen and a paper and a very good question. And if you just do that on a regular basis, you'll find that the quality 
of the question obviously determines the quality of the answer, but it allows you to explore things and come from things in very different ways because you haven't got the distractions. You're allowing yourself to explore it in more depth. And this is about taking responsibility for your own life and and becoming more self-aware about what you're doing because who you are and what you do and and what you have is all within your control. And, And what you want to have determines who you become and what you do. So this is a case of what is it you're doing and are you I call it living as opposed to existing you talked about a lot of people sleepwalking and drifting through life and this is all about taking control and living again with self-awareness and responsibility it is very interesting to me that you mentioned that book because I I had it recommended to me by a guest say maybe about three or four months ago and had added it to my to my audiobook list because I tend to listen to audiobooks whenever possible and uh, and I actually started listening to it this morning on my my way to work so it's it's interesting that you bring that book up Um, but uh, I'm only maybe five chapters in but I'm very much very much enjoying it and talking and thinking about those questions that we should ask ourselves and and thinking yeah I've already been thinking about that that thinking time I try to give myself that every day I have my my journaling time I have my my gratitude time um and and I think those things are so important and I know that for for you you know habits and uh, um what do you call them uh uh Rituals, if you like, rituals, habits, things that we repeat daily are are a really important part of what you often talk about. Well, it it was Aristotle who said we are what we we repeatedly do. So, yes, I journal and I've just started my year five of daily journaling. And that was triggered by reading The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And so every day, ever since then, for at, at this point in time, I'm now 1,459 days in. And that again shows about the habit and what does what does journaling give me i mean it, it's it's so invaluable yes i i sort of am grateful for things and i i document that but what a journal shows me also is it gives me an opportunity to write down my goals and also how I'm feeling and my emotions on a daily basis. And what that does is there's also a different way I journal, which is I call it streamless journaling. So I'm I'm just journaling with without thinking. So there's two different journals. One is a record of how that day has gone and what I'm grateful for and and things that I've achieved or struggled with and all of that. The other one is as I wake up, I just write for three pages without thinking. And there's no editing, there's no censoring, it's just purely writing. And what that does is it allows me to get rid of all of the things that are just going on in my mind that clutter. And as you wake up, it, it sort of it documents it, you're writing it down, and it, it gives you the permission to sort of acknowledge that thought. And then you can move on with your day. And then a few days later, what I do is I go back through and highlight anything that comes out as negative, or I could perceive that as being a negative statement. And I, re- I write it down as it is, and then I rewrite it in positive as a, as a positive affirmation. And what that does, it starts to sort of retrain the thoughts because. As you know, we have between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. Majority of those are repeated as they were similar to those thoughts I was having yesterday. And a lot of those are also negative. So 
we're having very similar thoughts and some of them are negative, keep on coming over and over again. And what happens then is that these then start, you become, you believe them, you start to sort of act on them and you start to think that that's true. So by reframing and, and rewriting these and just sort of give it, acknowledging them, it allows me to have that brilliant repositioning of saying well that no longer serves me I don't know why I don't need to be saying that and rewrite it and, and start thinking very much more positively and it totally changes because when you start changing your self-talk everything changes for you yeah absolutely and and the reality is most of us are unaware of the internal conversations that are going on but also that I think all of us really have self-talk that isn't a hundred percent supportive all the time, and uh, and sometimes is very much the opposite of that. It can actually be quite destructive and and pull us down and and stop us going for opportunities or trying things or thinking that we can do something and and really going for it and and holding ourselves back. You know, we we all have these things and we all have. I think we all have room for improvement. And so it sounds like this for you is something that gives you the opportunity to, to pull those things out and see what's actually going on in your, in your unconscious. I, I must admit, I don't do, I don't do that kind of journaling. I, I do my gratitude journal. I do my productivity planning. Um, over the last few years before this year, I was doing a, a, a stoic journal that Ryan Holiday's daily stoic uh, and finding that very valuable. In fact, I'm going to come back to doing that, uh, but that's a bit more of an evaluative uh, journal in terms of uh, thinking about what you want to achieve the day, but then actually looking at your day, like how could I show up better tomorrow starts to at least pull out some of those things. So like taking, take a look at how did you show up today? Are you happy with that? Were there some interactions that you maybe weren't, weren't so happy with? Are there some things that uh, the way you showed up that, you could have been a bit more positive or a bit kinder or uh, something that could have been improved upon. Anything that we can do that starts to examine those things in our lives and gives us an opportunity to say, okay, well, I'm not sure I'm 100% happy with that or I think I could do better is is an opportunity to improve and to grow on that. And, And certainly when we can start changing how we talk to ourselves, and sometimes we we will catch ourselves doing this stuff, right? Sometimes we'll catch ourselves like, oh, oh you stupid idiot, or something, <laughs> something far worse. When when we make a, a silly mistake or, or error or uh, say something that we didn't quite mean to say, you know, there's, there's all this stuff that goes on, goes on internally. What what do you do when you for yourself or for other people for changing that internal conversation? Then? It's so powerful and it's so useful to know that you have the ability to change that self-talk and you don't believe you don't have to believe it. You know, it's this is this is the protection mechanism that you're you are using to prevent yourself from downfall. And what it is a case of, of being able to do is just to allow yourself to reflect on those beliefs and do they still serve you or do you need to give yourself a new belief and quite often some of these beliefs we haven't reviewed since we were a child and a lot of what we thought we are operating under are the beliefs that we formed as a seven or eight year old and and that sounds insane because you're thinking how on earth can I still be operating from a belief that I formed when I barely knew what was going on in the world? But that's what happened. And a lot of our stories, particularly around money, and I know this is something that you work with a lot in your coaching, John, is that a lot of our money beliefs were formed when we were in this, at this age of seven or eight. And it's a case of saying, 
okay, I actually know quite a lot more about the world right now. And I'm in a better position to have better beliefs and understanding. So thank you very much, you know, for helping me all these years, but actually, I'm going to take it from here. And this is this is now the new belief system. And that can be applied into so many different areas. And it's, it's a fantastic sort of opportunity for you to sort of start to think about, you know, what it is you really believe in. And again, it comes back to what are the societal values as opposed to your own belief systems and really giving yourself that refresh in all these different areas and start to challenge, you know, the the thinking of what it is you really believe in, because quite often we are on this autopilot and we don't look at our beliefs. We don't look at our values regularly and just really think about them. We just take them as sort of assumed. And when you start to look at your, particularly, I'm going to use money story because I know that you can, and on this in a lot more detail but when we sort of talk about money and how it serves us and what values we hold around it and and how that our operating models are formed around it it's incredibly powerful because it can allow us to see how we could be restricting ourselves and holding ourselves back and putting that ceiling on our potential yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes we'll point out to some of my private clients uh, of uh, the, some of the beliefs around the, these sort of, you're right, the times that these beliefs are mostly formed um, from from things that maybe are going on at home with your family, from your educational environment, from media, from so many different sources that can back up uh, either positive or negative messages in, in particular area, especially around around money. And if you look to those times, you, you'll see where these things come from. And if you had the choice now, would you ask a child to, to tell you what your beliefs or your, your uh, values and expectations around money and wealth should be? you probably wouldn't <laughs> and uh, uh, unless it was a very empowered and educated child i would hope uh, so, but again that's what we tend to do we tend to be, as you say we tend to be stuck with these beliefs or decisions that we have from early on in life and, and often again not challenging them and not seeing that it actually could be different or maybe we could have taken away a more positive meaning from those experiences earlier in life that perhaps perhaps we were meant to take that positive meaning away but we didn't at that time so maybe going back and re-examining what could have been the positive uh, decision that you could have taken away from that is a is a good way to start healing the past and saying okay well it doesn't change what happened but it does perhaps change what you take away as the meaning of what happened which i think is is where things perhaps start to change at that deeper level it's it's always interesting working with these deeper rooted beliefs and it's one of the things i've been writing about this week as well for uh for for a course that i'm working on because you know in terms of creating a new belief you have to uh, build new neural pathways you have to work hard like some people think oh well i just i know what it is now and i know what the new belief is there I've, d- I've done it it's like well no actually it takes a bit of time to strengthen up a new belief and a new neural pathway especially to get it get it to a point where it's stronger than the old belief that you didn't want to have which is what it has to become the more you use a new belief pattern a new way of talking to yourself and the less you use the old pattern the weaker the old pattern gets and the stronger the new one gets but that takes time and and that's what i think that's one of the biggest things that people don't want to give is uh, or have a, a fake expectation around is thinking that this thing can be instant and i think it actually takes time to build up and, and to change those beliefs and time and experience and and questioning and thinking time as you talked about 
There are ways that you can expedite the process, which is is useful, which is to use NLP techniques and where you can use moments or, or particular events in your life that have got a very strong representation for you and you can move those new beliefs into a similar way and it's really quite powerful how you can create these images for yourself these mental images and give yourself a lot more strength behind that belief which will help to as I said to expedite the process and also reduce and eliminate and sort of delete the ones that are no longer serving you by sort of reducing them in size and take and defocusing them and taking them from color to black and white and moving these memories because we have an incredible amount of memories in our brain everything is stored whether we're aware of that or not but every single thing is stored in our brain and we have got access to it if we allow ourselves to into our unconscious and a lot of uh, what we store is stored in it's quite it's quite well organized to be fair and so what will happen is things that we deem to be similar events will put into similar storage systems and what that also means is sometimes when we've put something into our brain and we've stored it slightly incorrectly because we've got that perspective that we had as a younger child that saw things. I mean, we, we have millions of pieces of information that come in at any one second. And yet I think it's only 134. I think that's the number that we can actually remember at any one time. So what's happening is we're filtering out, we're deleting and we're distorting all the things that we are exposed to at any one site any one second through our different senses and we can only actually sort of process and filter we filter out the rest so it's really interesting if you think about all the millions of pieces of information what got deleted what got left out so as you said when you're going back to that particular event we we're perceiving it for in that moment and we've taken just a few elements and so it's looking at the bigger picture again it's understanding what else was happening at that particular event it's so fascinating it really is yeah yeah it really is it really is you know there's uh, one, one of my favorite books i don't know if you've read it it's called the luck factor it's um it's uh, i'm gonna struggle to remember the guy's name now <laughs> um do you remember it's the author? Something, man, um, I have got my, here we go. I've got my list of, uh, <laughs> You're so of books here. I, I know, I love it. It's super organized. If anybody wants my spreadsheet of books I've read, but the luck factor, if it's, I haven't done it by, I've done it by surname. So I'll, I'll find it as you carry on talking about it and we can reference it in a moment. Okay. The, the, one of the reasons why I particularly love, love that book is because it talks about the, what, what really is luck and, and what is good luck, what is bad luck. Like they're not mysterious forces. They're not uh, magical kind of things. It really does come from your expectations, your beliefs about yourself. And uh, I'm going to say it's Richard Wiseman. I think it's Richard Wiseman. It's something, it's something, man, isn't it? Let's yeah. have a look. Yeah. Richard Wiseman, well done. Hey, yeah. <laughs> came the luck back factor, to me. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so in the book, Richard Wiseman talks about that um, when they were actually scientifically investigating luck, they were able to dismiss the sort of supernatural explanations pretty early on and, and start looking at actual scientific reasons why people were lucky or unlucky. And I even remember some of the experiments that he talks about being conducted on, from on the TV. And um, what, what's been interesting from reading that is that um, lucky people just tend to act more in accordance with their belief that they're lucky. 
and, and more likely to take those chances or to strike up that conversation and, and to, to go for things that they might not otherwise go for. Whereas unlucky people are less likely to notice those things. Um, and, and Darren Brown did a really great experiment on, on one of his shows. He went to a, a Todmorden near Manchester and uh, did this experiment to really about whether people were lucky or unlucky. And, and I think his show, um, who knows the magic of editing and everything, but his show did a pretty good job of demonstrating that lucky people do, uh, people who believe they're lucky tend to be luckier and people who believe they're unlucky tend to have that experience as well. And, and they just don't, unlucky people tend to just not notice where there's opportunity because as you say, all this information coming through, they're not sorting for that. They're not looking for it. They don't have an expectation that there may be opportunity, even when people might be dropping money right in front of them on the path and uh, might find 50 pounds on the floor and, and just walk straight by it because you don't expect anything good to happen to you. In fact, you're expecting the opposite. You've kind of more your brain's looking out for threats or for, for what might go wrong. And so that was really powerful for me after, after reading that. I think it's one of the very first or personal Personal development books I ever really read and um, and, and just recognising that we really do create our, our luck or our, our lack of it by our beliefs, by the values that create those beliefs, by our experiences that create those beliefs about what the world is like and what our life is like and, and that all this time we, we are creating the experience of our reality. So every book I read I do a bit of a mind map and I know your audience won't be able to see this but they can I can describe it so for the luck factor which I read back in sort of 2017 so the summer of 2017 this is in my journal so this is what what I do in my journal is I I not only just read books or record my daily events but I I write down the key notes from each of the, the key books that I read and the luck factor has four key principles in it and you've, you've highlighted them. And, but the first one is to maximize your chance opportunities. Lucky people build and maintain strong network of luck and they listen to their lucky hunches, which is their gut feelings. And that we know that there's a lot to be said about the gut and trusting the gut in terms of the, there's the decisions that we're making. And there is, there's a fantastic, I had an interview recently with Adrian Hales, who talks about the vagus nerve and, and the gut making those big decisions in your life and, the, and how that works. And expecting good fortune is another one of his principles, Richard Wiseman's principles, which is that lucky people expect have the future to be hopeful and, and they, they understand that the future is going to help them fulfill their dreams and their ambitions. And the final principle is all about turning your bad luck into good luck. People are able to transform their bad luck into good fortune. So you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's again, it comes down to mindset. And this is something that we've both focused on for sort of many years now and, and really enjoyed the transformation that we see in ourselves, but also those in others. I'm, I'm mostly just in, in admiration of how super organized and planned out you are about all of this. I, I know that like, like myself, you're a very, very big lifelong learner. You believe in the power of, of self-development and, and education. Um, I wish I was anything close to as organized and thorough as you are on, on this sort of area. I tend to tend to rely on memory a lot more than perhaps I should, but uh, I, I, I definitely have a lot of admiration that you're just able to pull that out there. Oh yeah, here it is. Here's my. <laughs> here's well, it's my funny. Yeah. So the thing is that 
I am a very visual person. And so when I'm reading things, even if I'm listening to them on an audio book, I, I, ha- I probably have to then buy that book at another time in the physical version so that I can then write out some notes again. Because quite often when you're listening to a book on audio, you're driving or you're walking and you're doing something else. So it's not always the case you can do that. So for me, when I'm listening to a book and, and that was on holiday, so I had the luxury of being able to sort of write down the keynotes as and when I was listening to them. But I'm heavily auditory digital, which means that I like processes and, and having those models there because it really helps me to process from the visual perspective as well. So I, being aware of the way that you receive information and what your primary representation system is, is really, really useful to know that I communicate a lot through my language is using visual language so I will often say to someone I see what you're saying and you know I've got a really good picture of that so they're very visual descriptions and this is again where NLP comes into work with with coaching and really positive with language is when you are building rapport with your clients and, and anybody this could be with family or friends listen to the language that they're using and and then start to sort of feed it back again so somebody might be in a meeting and say well I hear what you're saying but uh, you know I just can't quite um, understand what it is you're you're describing here um, or they might say well I've got a sense of that but can you give me a better idea so I can get a a handle on it and you you can hear the difference in language (coughs) excuse me sorry and with that you can then take your rapport and your relationships to the next level and here let's go with another book Stephen Covey the seven habits of effective people and one of the biggest principles that he has is first seek to understand, then be understood. And this, this is probably for me the, the best. Uh, yeah. I, I love the book and I love the, love the principles in that as well. And um, yeah, grab yourself some water. Amy. <laughs> so it's uh, for, for me, it's a very, a very powerful thing to be able to just um, communicate well with people. One of the things I find interesting with rapport is, um, we tend to do we tend to do it anyway. Like the rapport skills have been developed from observing rapport and, and how it works with people. And some of us find it easier to generate rapport with, with others than others than others do. And some of us find that rapport with just with certain people is very easy, but with other people it can be very difficult. So the rapport skills are really good to know for those times where you don't naturally have it, where you can actually you think, well, I don't have rapport with this person. I think you should first ask yourself, do I want rapport with this person? And if I do, maybe I can actually help things along. I can grease the wheels a little bit by, um, you know, tuning into their language, tuning into uh, their their posture, how they speak, the speed they speak at, you know, the, uh, the resonance. Uh, you know, there's so many different elements that you can actually um, copy into, which, which when you feel that you have that connection with someone naturally, you automatically do it. You know, I know that um, particularly when I'm when I'm in the UK, which isn't too often these days, or if I'm mixing with with English people or, or English naturally English speaking people, um, I tend to pick up 
the accents of the people who I speak to. And I, I'm not the only person who does that, I know. But uh, certainly uh, as well, because like my origins are from the north of England. So if I go anywhere near someone who has been, uh, someone who's from there and has a strong accent, you can guarantee that you'll hear it. You'll hear it in my accent and it will come out. And I think we probably all have those experiences sometimes of having a conversation with somebody where you actually know pretty much what they're going to say next as well. I think that's a very high level of, of rapport that can sometimes happen. So really, you know, when it's going well, I don't, I don't recommend stopping and questioning it too much. But when it's not there, uh, that's the time to sort of take a look at, yeah, absolutely. How, how are they speaking? How could I actually uh, make things a bit smoother here if you want to with that person? Well, you know, you're you're talking my language here, John, because I actually studied linguistics at university. And it's been it's been a long time since I've sort of thought about what you're saying. And, and and remembering the sort of socio linguistics element of the dialectology was was fascinating for me and and how language learn. How, how children learn language, how we learn second languages. My dissertation was on how sort of foreign language learners perceive English vowels. Now, it sounds a bit niche, and that's what happens with a dissertation, it goes right in. But what it allowed me to do was just really understand how we learn language and how other people hear what we're saying. And there's so many different levels that you know you can take this is, is when you're saying something, you think you're being heard and you think you're being understood, but not always the case. So for that this particular dissertation I did, I, I learned that actually we have the ability to speak any language from the early ages. We have the physiology physiology to be able to do so. I had to learn the international phonetic alphabet, which has got every single sound that every single language in the world uses. And actually, by the age of eight, we filter out the ability to produce that language. So even though we may learn languages as a sort of growing up as a, a child through to adulthood and we may learn languages we may never actually sound fluent so we will be able to do it but we won't sound that sort of perfect sort of natural language so this is this is the difference between people being able to discern the difference between a ship and a sheep that difference in the the sort of the, the vowel sound to them they can't hear that some some different language learners because they don't have 12 vowel sounds or 20 vowel sounds in their language they may only have sort of five or eight so this is this is a little bit of a tangent but linking it into where we are sort of communicating it's it's understanding other people and really trying to understand what it is they're saying and it comes down to listening yeah it's interesting my my husband is spanish and from from valencia where i live and uh, uh, and sometimes i i can't tell uh certain words that he's trying to say uh, one that springs to mind is like i can't tell the difference between when he says verb or burp because they sound exactly the same to me when he says yeah. them whereas yeah. he's very clearly thinking he's, he's saying the words distinctly differently to, to my ears they just sound the same and uh, yeah it, it's fascinating but you know the same in, in spanish you know i know that I don't think I'm the easiest person, although I think I have a very clear accent in English. When I'm speaking Spanish, people really struggle to understand me. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It takes a while to tune in to somebody who's speaking your language with, with a heavy accent. It's, uh, it's a, fascinating, a fascinating area and, uh, and, and certainly maybe uh, 
um, one of the things that perhaps makes it a little bit harder sometimes to create rapport in, in those situations too, because there's a, a bit more of a barrier to overcome in order in order to do that. So you might have to focus on some of the other areas like physicality, matching, mirroring, and uh, and maybe you can actually focus more on that. Um, things like the to- tone of voice, the pitch, the speed, and the things like that uh, to to create the rapport. So long as you can actually communicate in in the same language, but yeah, it's it's, it's a fascinating area. It's interesting that, to know that you studied that and that you've gone on to to have a, a, a new and, and different understanding of it as well. I do want to get on to talking about podcasting with you because we're both podcasters, and it, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, it's a uh, it's something that I, I think I, I first started a podcast maybe about, oh God, I'm trying to think now, certainly over 10 years ago, maybe more than that. I think it might have been 12, 13 years ago. And I, I didn't do it. I, after, I, I like to keep saying I was probably one of the first people who ever had pod fade. It was, uh, you know, I just, I just sort of dropped out of it after maybe about five or six episodes, which is, is kind of normal now. Like, although there are millions of podcasts now, most of them don't get don't go that far and don't often don't even get to a full series uh, but for those that do i think there's a lot of value there and there, there are podcasts on nearly everything now and and this is your your second one what what has podcasting meant for you so you say there are millions of podcasts there are actually as of today 1,871,195 podcasts obviously there are a lot of episodes to link to those but in terms of how that actually factors that there are over oh i think it's 800 no how many there's sorry 37 million youtube channels so let's just think about those two different sort of mediums why are podcasts not as why aren't there as many as youtube channels and it's a growing medium and it's, it's still in its nascence. I really do believe it's going to explode. And for me, YouTube, lots of people think, oh, you know, we need to do a video. But actually, how much time do people have nowadays to consume that type of material? We actually have a lot more time to do things on the run. And so that's where I believe that podcasting is going to sort of really come to the fore. So again, it comes back to that, how you consume information, whether you're visual, where you have a preference to that. And some people aren't auditory, which is what a podcast primarily is. But what I believe a podcast allows you to do is to take on the auditory information and then you can play your own movie. You can play your own film and imagine your own life by listening to what you're hearing as well. And that's where I think it's actually sort of a really powerful concept with podcasting because it is taking a, a particular medium and allowing it into your own world. It's very intimate. This is a one-to-one relationship with a listener. I'm speaking to you and you directly and nobody else is in this relationship. And that's what I love about podcasting is that it's very much just me and the listener. I love that there are so many different formats in podcasting and, uh, and for, for me in terms of delivering podcasting, this is, this is probably my favorite being able to have a conversation with somebody and we're not even in the same country and we can sit down and have a conversation I love that as well but uh, but I love being able to just sit down have a chat and and other people get to listen in on that because I know when I listen to podcasts I sometimes feel like uh, 
to me, I want I want a podcast to be like you get you go out and you're you're in a bar and you hear someone's conversation on the next table and it's really interesting and so it's like you stop what you're talking about. I just want to listen to this. <laughs> this is really, that, that's a bit what it's like. You you get uh, invited into to what otherwise would be maybe a private conversation. You can do other things. Well, I do. I tend to do other things while I'm listening to podcasts as well. So you're not stuck in front of a screen, which I think is a really good point that you mentioned. Uh, although I do, you know, I do put the stuff out on video as well with the podcast. But but primarily, it's a, it, it's an audio channel. But I love that you know people listen to podcasts on their commutes in the car. Uh, going for a walk in the gym it's a very versatile format that and doesn't use up so much memory i guess on devices if you want to download stuff which probably helps as well um but but also you know i listen to some fiction on there from some time to time and i get to pick the conversations that i want to tune in on like there are some very high you know very popular podcasts like tim ferris joe rogan i probably listen to tim ferris more than joe rogan but uh, um but i like to listen to bits and pieces of other podcasts i recently listened to one of your shows with patricia fripp which is which i really enjoyed it was a it was a, a really good episode and she's a, she's an interesting lady and uh, and there's a there's a lot to learn from her too it's a great conversation that's the kind of stuff that i love with podcasting and uh, not not that it uh, really does anything other than i get to have lots of great conversations and the network that has come the networking that has come from podcasting has been one of the made it one of the best things i've ever done i think absolutely and you you you've struck a nail on the head because you can be entertaining you can be informative you can be educational you can be intimate you can be sort of have so many different formats you can either have this one-to-one with someone or you can have group conversations you can have sort of a mind dump so you and you can repurpose all different types of material it can be a five-minute podcast it can be a five-hour some of joe rogan's ones are ridiculously long you know but that's his format and he he just works through at that space and this is the thing is that you can be as creative as you want in a podcast you can own your own show you can have different elements you can push it out at different times of the day you can, I mean, there's so much flexibility and that's what I love also about this particular format but again I think it comes down to people what you're allowing yourself to do particularly on my show focus on why is you're peering into the window of a world that's normally sort of hidden and you you are invited in to to be a party of that conversation like you say you know we've all been on that in that cafe sort of like earwigging to that conversation of that table next to us and suddenly you realize that you are completely engrossed in their conversation and that's what it's like about a podcast is you you feel like you're party to and you're, you're allowed in it's a privilege that you've been invited to listen to this conversation that other people are having and you're like oh my gosh this is fantastic I, you know I didn't know that that was the case and and it is that's what it is it as a lifelong learner, I love listening to podcasts. I didn't even, I hadn't listened to one before I launched my own show. How bad is that? And now I, I listen to so many other podcasts because I just want to consume more and more and learn more and more. And as a lifelong learner, that, that sits well with me. Yeah, I, I, I love them. And uh, and the more I can get, the, the better. I, I actually have, uh, the one thing that I, that I planned never to have with audiobooks, because uh, I listen to them a lot as well, I now have, and the same with podcasts as well. Like Most of us have uh, a stack of books that we've bought that we haven't got around to reading yet. And uh, you know, some, that stack often, you know, if you like learning, if you like books, you just keep buying. Well, uh, you, 
you justify it. You fire it and the stack grows bigger of all the stuff you haven't read yet. Uh, and I've ended up with now the same thing with my audio books, even though I, I go through loads of them with podcasts as well. It's like all these stacked up episodes. Like, I, I will, I will get around to listening to them at some point. I, but you know, it's, realistically, you you can only do so much. There is, there is so much time. But but that is one of like as a as a listener, that is one of the aspects I love the most. Is that it's a very flexible format that you can do other things whilst you're whilst you're listening to a show and you don't have to listen now even if you have a several hour podcast you don't have to listen to the whole thing in one go you can break it down the same as you would any um audio product and, and come back and pick it up where you left off which i which i particularly love as well from the side of being a podcaster what, what do you see as being the benefits of it well, you picked up on it before and you mentioned the network and this is where I, I'd like to give you a huge thank you because you recommended or you, you spoke of somebody that you had on your show called Lee Hayes and I reached out to Lee. We recorded an episode which was just before my 100th, so it was my 99th episode with Lee and after that and listening back to it, she has reached out to me and she's introduced me to probably about six people now who... <clears throat> have come on the show and have also about to come on the show. And again, I would never have met these people or as quickly as I have. It may have taken several sort of years to get to the space of where I'm now interviewing this type of sort of person on my podcast. And because the network just gets richer and richer and it expands. And when people like what you do and, and they understand what the mission is behind the, the show and what the purpose is and, and you know it helps that I have a very strong purpose with focus on why that it's very clear and the outcome is 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 sort of easily understood by everybody who comes on the show so everybody wants to come on the show they want to share their purpose because it's the core of what they're doing and why they're doing it so nobody says no for coming on focus on why I've had a few people who have come on recorded and then come back to me several months later and said oh thank goodness you haven't released that yet because actually I'm now doing this because coming on your show made me realize that what I was doing was not congruent to what I wanted to be doing that I've re-recorded three different episodes with people because they have wow. changed their life purpose having been on the show and my That's episode amazing. number it is amazing and, and episode 100 was called the ripple effect and it's all about the, the things that have happened since launching this show and I had guests come on from all over the world who were audience members and had also been various um, guests as well so they were audience members who had listened to the show done something as a result of that and then they wanted to come on and, sh and share with me what they'd done so for me this the show started out as being a personal so I know what I can do to help the world at a difficult time it's right at the beginning of lockdown it, it sort of April the first I woke up with an idea the 30th of April I launched the show and the, within sort of seven months I had the 100th episode which was on the 19th of October and what that was less than that was six months and what that allowed me to do was just show people what is possible when you have a very clear focus a very clear why what your purpose is and even if you don't have the clear idea of how big it's going to get or what's going to happen just putting it in motion and allowing it to grow and evolve that's what this show has done 
Yeah, incredible. And uh, yeah, blows blows me away. Is that I love hearing stories like that. And uh, uh, one of the things for for me personally with, with podcasting, I get what you're saying about sometimes getting connected to people who you'd never imagine being able to get to have a conversation with. That to me has been uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, but in terms of the shows I put out. I think it is often more to do with what we talk about than who I talk to that people seem to care more about. Uh, certainly my, my listener statistics would, would indicate that, that it, for my show at least, that's very much the case. I think there may be some shows that people might be more inclined to uh, tune into with, with certain guests, but I, I do think for, for a lot of the time it is, it is the conversations that people want to listen to. And, and some of my most downloaded episodes are ones with people that probably most people would never have heard of uh, and and yet some of the most wonderful conversations so the the network stuff is amazing but i also love that you know you get to hear not just from people that you might already know about but from people who you may never have heard of who have something really valuable to say or something very powerful to share as well so you hopefully get a whole spectrum a wider spectrum than you might otherwise get from um more mainstream media because like mainstream media stuff especially even with audio media tend to only put out stuff that is with known people people who have already become established either as authors speakers or whatever whereas podcasting actually allows people who may be just starting out but have something powerful and interesting to say to have to have a platform and to get out to those audiences that that to me is is one of the most wonderful things about it it's a very uh, i guess because it's not generally a for-profit industry that like most podcasters aren't in it for the money it, it would be a bad idea generally to to just be in podcasting for the money i think um but uh, but maybe it's because of that because it is very much about giving and service uh, and you know you, you're inviting people not to make money off them but to to serve an audience i think that's to me, what makes it really uh, a powerful platform? It really is. The, the podcast platform is a platform where your listeners are very loyal and they, they will have, probably have six or seven shows that they go to regularly. And so if you're pushing out content where people are enjoying it and they're consuming it and they, they know consistently that it's going to be there and they've got their walk on a Wednesday morning and they know your voice is going to be in their mind, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that consistency. And it is about showing up and getting out there. And you can do this from your own home. So at the beginning of May this year, it, we ticked over the 1 million podcast mark. We're now almost doubled that by the end of this year. That's how much it's grown this year because of the, the need and demand for people wanting to have that resource of consistency and interest. And what you're providing in your podcast, John, is you're providing you know, that, that resource for someone who's going to come to you knowing that they know, like, and trust what the content that you've shared before. And as you say, sometimes the bigger guests aren't the ones that they're going to relate to as much as they're going to relate to the sort of the, the other people who have just shared a journey or a story or a learning or shown a vulnerability. You know, they've, they've gone through an experience and they've shared that with them. That's where people go, oh, my goodness, that is so me, or I totally understand that. that is, that's just been so insightful. And again, that's what I'm looking for in my show. It's not necessarily about having big names at all. It's about having relatable, inspiring and uplifting conversations that people can really sort of take on board and use as a motivational piece to take action, to take responsibility and take control of their own lives. 
Yeah. From, from, from a personal growth sort of perspective, I would say that you know, I, I feel that I've grown a lot as a, a podcast host. I mean, maybe you have a, a similar feeling as well that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit braver about approaching people. I'll, I'll, I'll start a conversation with somebody who I think would be a great guest, uh, but based on that, because I, I guess it's that thing of having, having that purpose that's bigger than just me. It's not about me. It's about the show. It's about serving the audience. Uh, and so it makes me a bit braver, but I will go for it. I will, I, I don't feel scared to ask someone, and I have had a few rejections from bigger names generally because they are too busy <laughs> with uh, perhaps more more mainstream or higher higher media um, people who are higher up in the pecking order kind of thing but uh, but often you know people who are generally wouldn't genuinely would not have expected to say yes do uh, and and often I get people on the show who um, either have come through somebody like yourself who who's connected with as a podcaster or um through through the podcasting networks who again just super interesting people that um, not everyone knows who they are but uh, but they have something valuable to say and those are the conversations that i always want to be having is like to me is it's about really adding adding something the, the the show should always be adding value and i feel that um on this journey, I feel like there were a few points where I started to perhaps lose sight of the purpose of the podcast and had to get myself back on track. And as soon as I did, as soon as I realigned my values, goes back to that, uh, about the show and why I was doing it and what, what it was for and who it was for, things got back on track about serving serving the audience in, in the way that it should be. And those have been really powerful life lessons for me along the way. And of course, the networking is, is wonderful too. So for me... I totally agree. It's all about the contribution piece, about what I could bring to the table. I was already a podcaster before and I had a very specific property podcast, which was sharing learnings and sort of educational tips around property. And then when that business sort of of closed at the beginning of lockdown, I wanted to go into a broader space. I knew that with the coaching, it was going to be more of a mindset based. And that's when I sort of had a week to decide and I gave myself a week to decide because I was closing out the episode of my previous podcast. And I wanted to have something that I knew I could say, this is where you're going to come to. Because again, it's that loyalty. Let me take my audience with them. It was with me rather. And with that, I, I looked at what it is I was trying to achieve and who I was going to be sort of serving, who, who would my audience be. And I knew that there was something quite big here. And yes, I had that sort of self-doubt of who am I to be that person, you know? Well, I just thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. If one person listens and takes action, mission accomplished, just, just do it. Just get out there. Well, you know, that one person reached out to me and made me cry because that I, I literally, after that first show, I had a message. I had actually I had several hundred messages over the course of the next few weeks. But that first message that I got was, I heard you, I listened to your episode and I just want to let you know that I am that one person that's taken action. And I was like, that, that, this is everything. This is exactly why it went through that process of pulling that particular podcast together. And those messages keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And it's just so inspiring to know that, you know, little old me in my house in you know the middle of lockdown had gave value to other people and you know this is a thing that when you don't value your yourself 
you know you can't you can't go anywhere you can't grow and so I had to value what I had to give and take it from there and with the different guests that come on the show and they're so different they've got such wonderful stories often when you listen to my shows where I've got the interview with a guest I may actually only ask two or three questions sometimes literally just three questions sometimes there's a bit more sort of interaction we've had quite a sort of two fro in this conversation but with some of my guests they they've just been able to share a, almost a monologue because they're talking about their purpose and their why and it becomes so personal and there may be sort of some moments where I'm just thinking in that space what is it the audience would like me to ask right now and that's where I go and so I then have separate reflection and observations episodes after that where I talk through the things that have been raised in that particular episode where they may not have been explored and that gives me a voice separate to the interview so I really allow my guests to share who they are, what they're doing, and why they're doing that in that particular space. Well, I, I love that. I'm going to have to have a think about uh, doing something, doing something similar, like reflecting back on the shows. I really like that idea, and, and then sharing those thoughts with uh, with the audience as well. Uh, and that might even be interesting. Uh, might even be interesting to the to the guest as well. To what kind of thoughts and feelings you had afterwards. Actually, that's really interesting you said that because my reflections episode came out yesterday and it always reflects on the sort of previous five or six episodes for for the past guests. And I had one particular guest reach out to me and say, I had no idea that that's how it came across or and that's that's really given me a lot to reflect on myself. So thank you. It was really valuable. And, And this is really interesting is that often when you hear yourself beings it's not it's not critiqued it's just hearing what what someone has taken away from that particular session and I know that if I listened back to those episodes again I would have different takeaways so it's each of these episodes are like the gift that keeps on giving there's so much content in there and it's really lovely to be able to sit back from the audience perspective and just listen to it in a different frame so I I will put those episodes into my ear go for a nice long week walk and just talk about and just sort of go through then write down some messages on my phone as I'm doing that and then I come back and I I sort of write it all out and and record it that's wonderful I I love that giving me some food for thought and I I definitely appreciate that as well I, I I would spend all my days podcasting if i if i could uh, but, uh, but i also love the other things that i do as well but uh, they're wonderful and certainly some some very nice insights so thank you i might have to do a reflection on on our chat today afterwards as well um so we've covered a lot we've covered a lot today and i think it's been a really valuable conversation one of the things i always like to get to asking my guests is depending on the kind of conversation but this is the kind of the right kind of conversation for this um is about the book recommendations like if i came to you or someone just came to you and said hey you know uh, what 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 would be a great book what what should i read you know if you're going to recommend somebody a, a book or a couple of books and you say oh, you know i've been thinking about some of the stuff or i listened to your episode what what should i read following on from that or what's just been a really great transformative book for you that you would recommend and i know that you keep a really good record of the books that you read you've already showed us some of that what, what would be the book or books that you would most recommend so it really does depend on what it is you need some help with or, or some inspiration with or some insights with. So it, for different people, that would vary. And it 
it really is quite a bespoke conversation to have. And and what I do is I do keep a record of all the books that I've read, but I also keep a record of who recommended me that book and and sort of around that conversation that we were having at, at that time, because that does make an impact of why I then sort of read that book and what value I get out of it. Because for me, I may recommend a book, but that was very personal for me at that time, because it gave me the answers to something I was looking for. So it's a great question, but I don't necessarily have the the perfect answer for it. So if someone was looking to improve their communication skills, I might recommend some books sort of around sort of TED Talks or Stoicism or or sort of a, even understanding more about NLP. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult conversation. I, I think in terms of general life lessons. For me, one of the the great books was, it was Hal Elrod, The Miracle Morning. And it was purely because he talks about lifesavers. Now, I'm not going to spoil, have you you read the book? Oh, yes, several times. Okay, great. So, but I'm not going to spoil the book for, for anybody who hasn't in terms of why he wrote the book, because that is a story in itself, as is Atomic Habits by James Clear. So those two books were for me, quite sort of emotional books because of the way that they were set up from the start. And then I took what they then had to say in a very different perspective. And from someone who is looking for purpose and looking to help other people with their purpose, they have been quite useful tools, as has The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson and The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And we talked about earlier, The Seven Habits of Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, there's other books. I'm just looking down at my list to see if there's anything I've forgotten. I do have stars by my favorites. The E-Myth Revisited by oh, Michael Gerber. And here we go. Mike Michalowicz, Profit First and Fix This Now. There we go. Yep, all good. And if, you're gonna, if I'm going to recommend a NLP book, I'm going to recommend The Ultimate Introduction to NLP, which is written by Richard Bandler and a couple of others. And the reason I recommend that is because the type of style that this book is written in is as though you are attending a seminar. So you feel as though you are living, breathing and in person in a particular event. And I think that's a really clever way to write a book because it's using all of your senses. It makes you feel as though you're part of that process and part of that book. And it's just it's a really clever concept. And I I like that. So, yeah, there's a few books to go with. Yeah, definitely. There's some great recommendations. Fiction or nonfiction, what's been your favorite book this year? Okay, so I love Mythos. Uh, by Stephen Fry, and we, I've just ordered Troy. Um, we, we listened to Heroes on the way down to, we managed to get out to France this summer, and that was great. So I listened to that, and I've just downloaded Troy, so I'm going to listen to that. But I've also downloaded Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey as well. Excellent. Some great book choices. I love it. So as we as we start to wrap things up for our, for our conversation today, what are the best ways for people to come and find out more about you, your podcast, your coaching? Well, I hang around on all, all social media platforms. So I'm there on LinkedIn, on, on, on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter. But I have a website, which is amyrolandson.com. So you come and find me there. 
you'll find all of those links in the show notes that's for sure as well as the book recommendations and so let's let's bring things to a close then uh as you ask all my guests to prepare some closing thoughts what would be your final thoughts that you would like to leave people with work on your values really really work on your values because if you understand your values you'll be valued for your work and that way you will feel fulfilled and you will live a life that is worth living wonderful great thoughts to close on i've got a lot of value from this episode i hope anyone watching or listening does as well i'm sure we will i'd love to hear back and leave leave us a review leave us your reflections and uh, and make sure you check out amy's show and focus on why and uh, and her website as well uh, it's, a, it's a great show not not saying that just because i've been on there i've listened to other episodes as well and it really is a very very powerful show and i i, I really love it it's uh, it's an inspiration to me as a podcaster as well so thank you and thank you for coming and being my guest today it's been wonderful well thank you for having me it's been great to visit spain for the afternoon (laughs) at least virtually right (laughs) thanks for tuning in remember to like and subscribe and if you enjoyed the show leave us a review it really helps whilst you're here why not go and grab yourself a copy of the last minute presentation checklist available for free from presentinfluence.com If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who would make a great guest, please drop me a line, john at presentinfluence.com or connect with me on Twitter or Clubhouse at John A. Ball or come and join my Facebook group, Speaking Influence, where I'll be posting daily videos and you can get all the latest information on the show and everything that's coming up and even have your say in the future of the show. Join me for my next show with the incredible TEDx speaker trainer who is Peter Hopwood. Had an amazing conversation with him. You won't want to miss it. And check out my brand new podcast launching very shortly called Points of Change. Look for Points of Change. You'll see my face on the promo. Come and check it out. Download your first episode and I will look forward to seeing you there.